Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of domestic abuse and suicide. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In 2007, Deborah Gileski was a prophet on the run. But unlike the biblical exodus of the Israelites, the 54-year-old didn't have to wade barefoot through scalding desert sands. Instead, she sat in the first-class section of a commercial flight. According to a former member, Deborah claimed to pray better up front, where she had more legroom. And Deborah had a lot to pray about. She was facing harsh criticism for her Magnificat meal movement. That was the reason she was fleeing to Vanuatu, an island off the coast of Australia. There, she hoped to finally be free from religious persecution. But Deborah was running from more than just her critics. Several months earlier, the Australian government slapped her with a bill for unpaid taxes for 5.5 million Australian dollars. Deborah only knew one thing. She wouldn't be footing that bill. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on Deborah Gileski's Magnificat Meal Movement, a Christian group that won over thousands of followers in Australia during the 1990s. Last week, we learned how Deborah poached members from various Catholic parishes by convincing them she was a prophet. Today, we'll track her downfall as her increasingly bold claims destroy her religious reputation. We'll also examine the series of schemes she pulled to maintain her jet-setting lifestyle. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery... Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Most of us played pretend when we were kids, whether we imagined ourselves as superheroes saving the world or masqueraded as our favorite Disney princesses. It was fun to imagine being someone else, someone special. Once we become adults, most of us leave make-believe behind because we're old enough to understand that pretending to be someone you're not is just lying. Yet Deborah Gileski built an entire movement by claiming to be a prophet. 
She told her followers she regularly spoke with Jesus and the Virgin Mary and that angels had appeared to her since she was a little girl. We don't know how much Deborah herself believed these claims. Maybe she convinced herself they were true. Other people certainly believed her. And once they started flocking to her Magnificat meal movement, truth and fantasy blended together. But not everyone was so willing to believe it. When Deborah and her followers first settled in the town of Helid in Australia, Bishop Morris didn't think much about them. By their own account, they were a Catholic organization, so he allowed them to operate in his diocese, even though Deborah's reports of divine visions concerned him. But eventually, the number of Triple M followers in Helidin grew into the hundreds. Deborah claimed the town as her own, and her divine messages grew more outlandish. Bishop Morris had to do something. He appeared on ABC Radio's National Religion Today program and warned fellow Catholics Triple M may not be authentic. For anyone thinking about joining the movement, wait until the Catholic Church offers their approval. If any of Deborah's followers tuned into the broadcast, they might have been confused by his remarks. Triple M was presented as an offshoot of Catholicism, an extension of existing dogma. Some of the marketing materials even claimed Deborah's message had been endorsed by a priest, Father Thomas de Souza. But as we mentioned in our last episode, that was a lie. Even before the move to Helidon, a handful of other parish priests had expressed concerns about Deborah. Bishop Morris was only her latest critic. As gossip about Triple M spread, Deborah knew she needed to reassure her followers. She insisted they were still in line with the Catholic Church, no matter what Bishop Morris said. But she needed someone with more clout than the bishop to endorse her movement. Someone like René Laurentin. Laurentin was a French priest and theologian and a leading expert in Mariology. He'd spent his life investigating apparitions of the Virgin Mary and claims of the divine. If he signed off on Triple M, it would cement Deborah's position as a prophet. Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. By bringing in Laurentin, Deborah leveraged something called authority bias. When someone is seen as an authority figure, we tend to believe their opinions more readily, and they can have a greater influence over us. Now, Bishop Morris was certainly an authority figure in the Catholic Church, and since many of Deborah's followers considered themselves Catholic, it's likely they took his criticism of Triple M seriously. However, René Laurentin was the authority on the Virgin Mary, the very core of Deborah's movement, so she hoped his opinion would hold more weight than any of her detractors. Laurentin would know better than them. When the theologian came to Helidin in 1996, he was just visiting. But Deborah sold it as much more than that to her followers. She claimed he'd been sent by the Vatican to officially investigate her holy visions. Before he could make any kind of statement about Triple M, Deborah pushed the idea that his presence alone made her legitimate. And it probably wasn't a hard sell. Laurentin was in his late 70s and didn't speak fluent English. He likely wasn't aware of her agenda as she walked him around Helidon, presenting him to her followers. And it set the stage for her next spectacular vision. At the end of 1996, Jesus himself came to Deborah and said, my mother, as co-redemptrix, mediatrix, and advocate, is the queen of this battle to save Christianity. Basically, according to Deborah's vision, the Virgin Mary was essential for the redemption of humanity. 
It put her on the same level as the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to the Vatican, Mary should be thought of as a cooperator in redemption. In their eyes, she had facilitated Christ's work by bringing him into the world and acts as a mediator between humanity and God. But she was not a redeemer herself. So when Bishop Morris caught wind of Deborah's latest prophecy, he was aghast. It was heresy, and he couldn't let it go unchecked. In early 1997, he alerted the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in Rome. They were likely alarmed by the report, but needed more information. They wanted Bishop Morris to investigate Triple M further before they outright denounced the movement. In the meantime, the local priest, Father Ryan, also spoke out against Deborah's new vision. He was concerned Triple M was leading followers further away from traditional Catholicism. Father Ryan had developed personal relationships with several of the Triple M members living nearby. They trusted him, so his disapproval hit home, probably even more than Bishop Morris's. Doubt crept back into the group. When Deborah had faced criticism in the past, she'd just moved towns and switched to another parish. But she couldn't do that now. She'd built her promised land in Helidon. All of her followers were there. Unwilling to give all that up, Deborah decided to stay and weather the storm. She first tried to tamp down on Father Ryan's influence by warning her followers not to step foot inside his parish. All future Triple M activities would be hosted at their private gathering space, which she called the Shrine of Mary. Throughout 1997, the gulf between the Triple M and their former parish only grew. By fall of 1998, Bishop Morris sent a letter to all the priests in his diocese, warning them about the group. The real reckoning came a few months later, in February 1999. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith had finally concluded their investigation, and based on their findings, the Vatican definitely denounced Deborah's movement. Bishop Morris communicated their statement, saying that Triple M was a clear danger to many good people who may be led away from proper obedience and loyalty to the Church. Catholics were told to distance themselves from the movement. Now there was no way Deborah could convince her followers Triple M was merely an offshoot of Catholicism. Not long after, Deborah's husband Gordon defected from the group. He no longer believed she was a prophet and called her visions false. He said in an interview, I came to the conclusion that God couldn't possibly be responsible for such a proliferation of lies, but I think she really believes those lies and that she is spoken to. Fire roared in Deborah's eyes. Anyone who challenged the Triple M was her enemy, and she was determined to fight back. Coming up, Deborah tries to take on the Catholic Church. What could be more shocking than uncovering the deep, dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Carter from the ParCast series, Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction and discover that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. From the government's link to Bigfoot and the otherworldly secrets of the Vatican to the Grateful Dead's role in the spread of LSD and more. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may just be outlandish claims. 
others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, gift mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Now back to the story. In early 1999, the Vatican outright dismissed Deborah Gileski's Magnificat meal movement. She could no longer claim to be Catholic. But the Pope was only the first name on Deborah's long list of detractors. She was also fending off criticisms from a local priest, a bishop, and an esteemed Catholic researcher. Closer to home, it was her husband Gordon who caused the most trouble. Not only had he left Triple M, he also wanted out of their marriage. And as they worked out the details of their divorce, Gordon made it clear that he wouldn't leave without a fight. It's not clear exactly how much money was on the table to fight over, but we know that Deborah and Gordon had shares in around a dozen properties in Helladon. They'd collected tens of thousands of dollars for the Basilica project alone. But Deborah was the leader of Triple M. She was the one blessed with holy visions. Gordon barely lifted a finger. However, it's possible that Deborah wasn't entitled so much as she was spiteful. She believed that Gordon had been carrying on an affair with a former member named Michelle, who'd been Deborah's assistant and one of her closest followers. However, Michelle and Gordon publicly denied that they were romantically involved. Either way, it didn't take long for the divorce to turn nasty. Deborah filed an interim restraining order against Gordon, claiming domestic abuse. In turn, Michelle told police Deborah had assaulted her and threatened her teenage son. Deborah denied that this happened. And those weren't the only problems Deborah faced. A few months earlier, Deborah and 14 other members of Triple M were charged with disturbing church services at the local Catholic parish. We don't know exactly what happened to cause the disruption or why the Triple M members did it. It's possible Deborah hoped to intimidate Father Ryan with the move. But whatever she was trying to prove, it completely backfired. The priest reported the incident, and based on tape-recorded evidence, Deborah was forced to plead guilty to the charges. She and her followers were soon released on good behavior bonds, but the experience was likely a hit to Deborah's ego. She had to publicly admit she'd done something wrong. But the moment certainly didn't humble Deborah. It only hardened her resolve. Now, she wanted to embarrass the priest, just as he'd done to her. Some years back, Deborah received a vision that she would be burned at the stake, like Joan of Arc. She reminded her followers of what she'd once seen, but with an added embellishment. Father Ryan was the one to set her on fire. She claimed the resulting blaze would obliterate their headquarters. Deborah predicted the attack would occur on September 9, 1999. In the Bible's Book of Revelation, 666 is deemed the number of the beast. 
Some interpretations hail it as the coming of the Antichrist. Turn the abbreviated date for September 9, 1999 upside down, and 666 plus one more six is exactly what you get. So in no uncertain terms, Deborah was positioning Father Ryan as the Antichrist. In reality, Father Ryan had no intention of harming her or her followers. But inside Triple M, the threat felt very real. As they started to close ranks, other people in Heladin feared the worst. Deborah was undeniably the center of the movement, and she'd prophesied her own martyrdom, the equivalent of a crucifixion. If Deborah really died, how would her followers react? Rumors swirled that September 9th might end in a mass suicide. And the police took that possibility seriously. They launched a 24-hour surveillance team, flooding Heladin with officers. The media quickly followed suit. On September 7th, two days before the anticipated tragedy, journalists, TV crews, and officers descended on the small town. On the morning of 9-9-99, the onlookers held their breath, expecting all hell to break loose. But Triple M's headquarters were completely silent. No one entered, no one left. There was no fire. Deborah's vision was a dud. After September 9th had come and gone, she gave a telephone interview to Reuters. Trying to save face, she claimed her words had been taken out of context and blown out of proportion. She claimed her vision of being burned at the stake was purely metaphorical. She was an ideological martyr. Deborah then tried to shift the blame to her detractors. She reasoned they were the ones starting the rumors about a mass suicide to make her movement seem dangerous. It was all to discredit her. She also pointed the finger at her estranged husband, Gordon. She told a reporter, My husband, who has gone off to live with his girlfriend around the corner, made the story up. And maybe it's his wishful thinking. But his wishful thinking will not occur. After all the fuss, the thin excuses rang hollow with most. At the end of the day, after the crowds and the cops left Heladin, Deborah was left with quite a bit of egg on her face. It was the second time in a matter of months that her divine authority had been challenged. Once again, she'd been forced to publicly admit she was wrong. What had happened in court with Father Ryan was embarrassing, but this was downright humiliating. After an affair like that, many would have laid low, but that wasn't really Deborah Gileski's style. Instead, she doubled down on her protracted war with the Catholic Church. Father Ryan, and all the clergy for that matter, were to blame for her troubles. She was done pretending like she wanted anything to do with them. Shortly after the failed prediction, Deborah came to her followers with yet another announcement. The Catholic leadership was corrupt, and they'd been leading their congregations astray from the true practices of the Bible for too long. Luckily, Deborah was there to show Triple M the way. She condemned the practice of Novus Ordo Mass, a more progressive service style that came out of Vatican II. As we mentioned in the last episode, the Second Vatican Council updated a variety of long-standing practices in 1965 to keep the Catholic Church in time with a changing world. One of them was Novus Ordo, which has been the standard style of Mass in Catholic churches across the world since the mid-60s. Instead of facing the altar during liturgy, Priests now faced the congregation. Parishioners took part in some of the call and response prayers, which were previously reserved for deacons or altar servers. Parish priests had the freedom to offer services in whatever language their flock spoke, instead of exclusively in Latin. 
Novus Ordo also changed how the Eucharist was offered. It was an attempt to make Catholic services more accessible to all people, but some conservative Catholics felt it was an affront. They believed the Pope was spitting in the face of hundreds of years of tradition. And perhaps that sentiment is the reason Deborah suddenly jumped onto the anti-Vatican II bandwagon. Plenty of Catholics were just as angry with the clergy as she was. Maybe she could rally her followers around their frustrations, the same way she enticed them with her visions of the Virgin Mary. Except these two ideas were from completely opposite ends of the spectrum, and they spoke to two wildly different kinds of Catholics. Conservatives would have been skeptical of Deborah's miracles for the same reason so many clergymen were. A lot of her fantastical claims bordered on heresy. The sudden turn against the modern church alienated many of her Triple M followers. They saw Deborah as someone who could deliver the future of Catholicism. They didn't want to go backward. Not to mention most of them had been attending Novus Ordo Mass for the last 30 years, and that was the same style Deborah and Triple M had always observed. They didn't have any issues with it. The sudden change just didn't make sense to the group. In truth, Deborah was scrambling, grasping at straws. Over the last year, she tried so many times in so many ways to prove her religious authority, but it kept backfiring. Her mistakes were piling up, and doubt inside Triple M snowballed. When Bishop Morris heard about Deborah's latest polemic, he gave another public statement. He told the priests in his diocese, this movement has explicitly rejected the current teaching of the Catholic Church regarding the Eucharist. Its members, by their choice, have placed themselves outside the Church. No one else can be blamed for this action. But if Deborah was feeling the pressure, it only made her bolder. Maybe the Magnificat Meal movement shouldn't follow any Catholic traditions at all. According to researcher Mike Gard, in early 2000, Deborah quietly explored Seventh-day Adventism as an alternative. She implemented a handful of new practices that would better align Triple M with SDA. Namely, she asked her followers to take down any photos or devotional statues of the Holy Family because it was considered idolatry in SDA. The new rule was not well received. Religious statues and iconography play a crucial role in Catholicism. Few members of Triple M wanted to suddenly abandon them. For years, Deborah had sold Triple M as an offshoot from the Catholic Church. But now, she was widening the schism between the two herself, trying to turn her followers against the Church. And for the most part, she utterly failed. Most of her followers considered themselves Catholics first and members of Triple M second. They had zero interest in becoming Seventh-day Adventists, so some left the movement. As the group's numbers started to shrink, Deborah continued to pivot. She brought the group back to Catholicism, but insisted they observe Eastern Rite Mass services. The only problem was that none of the nearby parishes offered that option. Deborah tried to convince Eastern Rite priests to come to Helidon, but was unsuccessful. So she moved on. In a final attempt to align herself with an existing branch of Catholicism, Deborah tried to join the Society of Pius X. The group was vehemently opposed to Vatican II, so Deborah thought she might have a way in. But after studying her journals, they found her own teachings way too fringe and didn't want any association with her group. Deborah was at a crossroads. She'd burned basically every bridge she had. She'd made bad move after bad move undermining her religious authority and hemorrhaging her followers all the while. Her empire was crumbling around her. 
So where did she go from there? Maybe for a moment she considered giving up and admitting she wasn't a prophet. But after so many years of playing the role, whether or not she believed in the act wasn't what mattered most. She'd become accustomed to a certain lifestyle. And that's what she wasn't ready to walk away from. Because after so many months of false starts and wrong turns, Deborah eventually settled on a new direction for the few remaining followers of Triple M, a pyramid scheme. Coming up, Deborah finds a brand new bag. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now back to the story. Deborah Gileski had tried to align her Magnificat meal movement with nearly every avenue of Catholicism there was, and none would have her. But the 47-year-old still claimed she was a prophet, and some still believed her. Bolstered by their support, Deborah embarked on a worldwide tour, hoping to replenish her numbers. But there was really no better time to do it. She was an unmarried free agent. Psychological researcher Christina Lund has noted that the transition from married to divorced can be more difficult for some women because they must surrender their traditional gender role as a wife. Nurturing and caretaking become less central to a divorced woman's life, and she must learn to establish a new identity. This means that although divorce is traumatic, it can also be an occasion for personal growth. As Deborah embraced her new position, she took to the skies. Throughout the year 2000, she traveled frequently to Ireland, the United States, the Philippines, Malaysia, and her home country of Australia. According to a former follower, she insisted on flying first class every trip because she said the extra legroom helped her pray better. And everywhere she went, she condemned the practice of the Novus Ordo masses. To her followers, it may have seemed like Deborah was focused on bringing false Catholics back to true worship by exposing the corruption of the clergy. It's unclear how much the Virgin Mary still played into this. But while Deborah toured the world, spreading her message, she assigned her followers a much more important task, filling Triple M's coffers. Deborah had relied on their financial support for years, but now there were far fewer people footing her bills. To make up the difference, she hitched Triple M's wagon to a popular health company. The company was later investigated for unfair multi-level marketing practices. But before that, their business model relied on distributors buying the brand's wellness products so they could sell them at a slight markup. Their compensation wasn't just based on those sales, however. They also got bonuses when they recruited new members into their downline. Deborah had a built-in downline willing to buy up her potions and powders. 
Rather than recruit new believers to Triple M to boost donations, she could sell the wholesale products to her remaining loyal followers, who would then try to peddle it to the rest of the world. All of a sudden, Deborah tapped into a market she'd never even considered before, all without lifting a finger. If anyone questioned why a church was slinging supplements, Deborah insisted they were raising money to build a basilica in Helidon, this time for real. But that explanation seems dubious at best. All the changes to Triple M had made it nearly unrecognizable by that point. According to a former Triple M member, Deborah told her followers to abandon the monochrome blue outfits they'd worn for years so they could look normal when soliciting in town. Deborah's appearance changed too. She dyed her hair blonde and, according to the news show A Current Affair, bought multiple Mercedes-Benz cars with a chauffeur to drive her around town. Even with all that MLM money coming in, Deborah wanted more. In 2001, she set up an alliance with the founder of a bullion company. Deborah told her followers they were investing in gold. She likely claimed it was a smart move, because gold never decreases in value, unlike currency, which is subject to inflation. The plan was to give their money to the bullion company, who would presumably exchange it for gold. The group believed they were making a good investment in their future, for the sake of Triple M. What they didn't know was that Deborah made a commission on every dollar they invested. According to several media reports, she coaxed $1.8 million from her followers. She kept her cut, then sent the rest to the bullion company to be spun into gold. Around the same time, Deborah convinced two followers from California to give her a loan of around 600000 Australian dollars to acquire land for a tree farm. So it seems like, though Triple M had changed dramatically, Deborah was still maintaining that she was a religious leader. However, it isn't clear where she could have worshipped. She'd been so vocal about the Novus Ordo style that going to a regular Catholic service was off the table. And she'd been rejected by the other, more conservative sects. To keep up the impression of being pious, she needed a parish. So in 2002, Deborah created her own. She led masses herself and even ordained both priests and bishops to oversee them in her absence. In reality, only Catholic bishops can officially ordain priests, and that requires approval from the Pope. But Deborah ignored that wrinkle by once again railing against the established church leadership. She was building the true remnant of the Catholic Church. Or at least that's what she told followers. Out of all the Catholics in the world, only Deborah's group knew the truth about salvation. She was the one with authority. She was the one her followers should listen to if they ever wanted to enter God's kingdom. In short, she'd elevated herself from prophet to savior. But she couldn't save everyone. When people came to Helidon for miracles, Deborah might have been able to sell them the Triple M books and a sunny afternoon in her headquarters. Some visitors even felt like they'd experienced miracles. But for all intents and purposes, it was just a carefully crafted show, which made it all the more devastating when people came to her in earnest, seeking help. In 2003, a woman named Pauline Hanley made the pilgrimage from Ireland to Helidon. The headquarters wasn't as grand anymore. Triple M didn't have as much influence. But Pauline was desperate and thought Deborah might be the key. Pauline's 15-year-old daughter, Nora, had been diagnosed with leukemia seven years prior. Recently, she'd learned she wasn't a good fit for a bone marrow transplant. Doctors told Nora she only had four to six months left to live. 
They prescribed some medicine and recommended weekly blood transfusions to give her as much time as possible. Feeling like science had failed her daughter, Pauline turned to the spiritual. Telling her husband she was taking Nora on a one-week vacation, she brought Nora to Heliden to see Deborah and the Marian Shrine. Soon after she arrived, Paula felt inspired to ignore the doctor's advice. She believed Nora didn't need medicine or transfusions, only faith. Back in Ireland, Nora's father and aunt were extremely concerned for her health. He hadn't been able to reach Pauline, so they went to the media. They hoped the attention might help bring the girl back to Ireland, where she could receive proper care. Unfortunately, Pauline held strong to her convictions. She had total faith. Not long after, Deborah said in a radio interview, Nora certainly doesn't look or act like a sick child here at the moment. She's running up the hill and playing around in the sunshine, so from a distance she looks fine at this stage. But she was wrong. Nora only got worse. Only a few weeks later, she finally flew back to Ireland. Once at home, she passed away. It was a horrific tragedy, one that might have been delayed had Nora never stepped foot in Heliden, and perhaps it was a sign of things to come, because soon after, Deborah's whole world was shaken up. Her alliance with the founder of the Bullion Company fell through. It turns out that the man her followers had given $1.8 million to was a known con artist. He was literally a fugitive whose assets had been frozen in the U.S., and now he disappeared along with all of Triple M's money. Soon after, the California tree farm investors came calling. They wanted their $600,000 property loan back. They were also upset with Deborah for making false allegations that they had helped produce a pornographic film. So they hit her with a lawsuit. In 2006, a settlement was finally reached. Deborah was forced to pay them an undisclosed amount of money. And that wasn't the worst of it for Deborah. As it happened, all those years she'd been in Heliden, Deborah had been avoiding taxes, writing her hefty purchases off as religious expenses. And the Australian Taxation Office finally took notice. They slapped Deborah with a $5.5 million bill. And while Deborah may have been able to avoid her Vatican critics, she couldn't deny the Australian government. Her legal battles mounting, Deborah needed a way out of Heliden. She'd spent years buying up its businesses and building out her headquarters. Now she had to abandon her holy city. In 2007, 54-year-old Deborah Gileski headed to Vanuatu, an island 1,000 miles off the coast of Australia. She bought a property and spent an estimated $1 million fixing it up. She also surrounded it with giant walls to maintain her privacy. To really secure her place in the community, she bought out a series of local businesses, just like in Heliden. And miraculously, according to a 2015 story by A Current Affair, her assistant negotiated a settlement with the Australian government. Deborah's believed to have paid only $400,000 to forgive her debts. In 2008, she finally returned to the promised Basilica project. Sort of. According to a former member of Triple M, Deborah purchased a rundown property in Spain and told her remaining followers she needed to renovate it into a luxurious villa. According to this account, the villa was the key to the future basilica. To this day, it's likely that Deborah still profits off of her devotees, the ones that remain at least. But what she preaches now is far different than her original dogma. One former follower told the Catholic leader in 2015, 
There's no comparison to be made with the lifestyle in those early days to the lifestyle of the remaining members now. Instead of the vow of near celibacy Deborah required some 20 years prior, she allegedly advised young people in the group to have as much sex as they wanted, just use a condom. But then, Deborah never seemed to take issue with the changing party line when it suited her. And the remaining members don't seem to have a problem with the changes anyway. Her former followers claim that those who stay at her estate pay $200 a night for spiritual retreats. Deborah has also embraced the internet as a way to reach the public. She regularly shares religious hymns to the Triple M YouTube account. Her other posts are a mixture of Illuminati fear-mongering and New Age spirituality, mixed in with references to the Old Testament. The inconsistency protects her from having to align with just one ideology, so she can flip-flop at will. It's said that if you do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life. In some weird way, Deborah Gileski followed that truism. She may have exploited thousands, but she's managed to keep a grip on her empire, not as a prophet, but as the manipulator she always was. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on Triple M, amongst the many sources we used, we found Spirituality and Cultism, A Case Study of a New Religious Movement, The Magnificat Meal Movement by Mike Gard, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Cults was written by Lauren DeLille, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells and Abigail Cannon, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood. Cults stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. 